Hi, I'm Lisa. Hi, I'm Julie. Welcome to Two Sober Chicks. Pull up a chair, pour yourself a cup of tea, cup of coffee, whatever beverage of your choice, as long as it's not boozy, you floozy, and uh, sit down and join us as we talk about all things recovery today. Just a reminder, we haven't done our disclaimer in a while. Okay. It's been a little while, so... I'm not a therapist. Julie's not a psychiatrist. Um, I am a fucking genius. True. That should count for something. You're a spiritual warrior. (laughs) You're a spiritual guru. Um, Have we talked about the fact that you're studying to be a... What is it? A minister? A preacher? Yeah. Uh, I think we've mentioned it a couple of times. Okay. All right. And we just lost half our listeners. <laughs> I don't know why religion... Actually, I do. Religion is such a dirty word in the rooms. And I feel like the second it comes up in a talk or something, half the room is gone. Mm-hmm. Which I find really strange considering we're in an environment where everybody is supposed to be accepting of each other. And it's like, we accept spirituality, but don't you dare mer- men- <laughs> mention religion. So yeah. it's always like the intolerance of the tolerance almost. Mm. It's weird. It's personal, right? I think it's just people had these um, personal beliefs about religion, and that's part of the journey in recovery, for me anyway. It was breaking down um, old beliefs. Yes. uh, Dispelling old myths. And then that helped me not hate religion. Yeah, Um, me too. And my God, a God of my understanding, is different from a God of your understanding. Mm -hmm. But so I don't poo-poo you for mentioning Jesus. That's the God of your understanding. Yeah. You don't poo-poo me for mentioning Satan. No, just kidding. (laughs) Satan? I don't think, have I ever discussed on here how, so I do service work in uh, jails. And at the jail, one of the inmates asked me for Satanic Bible. Have I ever talked about this on here? (laughs) No. And I think he was doing it just as much to throw me as he actually wanted to know, Mm -hmm. wanted one. Yep. And it was so funny because I thought, oh, here we go. He's testing me. He's poking me. I laughed it off the first time. And then yeah. he came at me the second time. And I'm like, didn't you ask me this? But they were on lockdown the first time. So I couldn't really see his face through the bars of his cell. <laughs> so when he came up to me on range the last time, he's like, well, hey, miss, I want a satanic Bible. And I'm like, haven't you already asked me this before? Anyways, um, the satanic Bible doesn't really have a lot to do with anything other than just getting what you want from people. So, so a minister actually said to me, you need to read that to know what's in it. So when people want to talk about it, you know what you're talking about. Right. Okay. Um, but it doesn't offend me. I don't care. Have you read it? No. Okay. I'm kind of scared to have it like in my <laughs> house. So maybe, I don't know if they carry it at chapters or whatever. Do they carry it at the library? <laughs> oh, I should go check it out. Maybe they do. Yeah. Yep. You'd be instant flag from the government. <laughs> you yeah. check, don't yeah. check it out. Just go there and read it and yeah. then put it back. Secretly, quietly yeah. read it. That's great, though, right? About You have to be armed with knowledge about all different types of religions, yeah. I think. That fucker didn't even know I was praying over them the whole time as he was asking me those questions. I was like, Jesus, Holy Spirit, cover this man, please. Bring light into his heart. I'm just looking at him like, you don't even know what I'm doing right now. So you can That's be awesome. as terrible as you want to be. I'm still, just because you don't believe in God doesn't mean God doesn't believe in you. There you go. Yeah. Amen, sister. All right, we hope you're still listening after that. (laughs) Try not to be judgmental. Um, And we know it's a journey. Everyone's spirituality, whether you find religion or not, we hope that you find spirituality. We hope that you find a spirit, something greater than yourself to believe in. And I think that if Satanism is all about that, that's the opposite of what we are teaching. What AA is teaching is not about what's in it for you. It's what's in it for others. 
That's really, I think, for me, what the journey of sobriety is about, is how can I be a better person? Yeah. How can I be of service? As far as I'm concerned, a higher power is a higher good, so I don't know how that works with Satanism. Like, I don't want a power lower than myself. And my higher, the power greater than myself was always booze. It's not like I'm inventing a new concept. I'm simply taking it from booze and putting it in a different direction when I'm getting a higher power that's not my addiction. Yeah. That doesn't completely fuck up your life. (laughs) Yeah. My higher power wants to kill me. How about yours? (laughs) Leave a wake of wreckage and destruction. Um, Okay, so we have a couple of things. We have another email to start off from. Uh, Our friend Angelica from sunny California. We haven't heard from her for a while, so it was really nice. A huge thank you for your service and the amazing podcast, she says. I've been listening to older podcasts, and I was so excited to hear all the new ones. Aww. I was happy to hear my beautiful new friend in recovery, Shauna, had written in. Oh, they know each other! So thank you, Angelica. She sent us Shauna, along with a little help. Oh, that's wonderful! From above. Yeah, she's an amazing lady, and I'm... Oh, this is... Shauna, I hope you're listening. She's an amazing lady, and I am so grateful for her friendship. That's nice. As I am for the uh, you two ladies and your friendship. So here was a, a person we talked about on a previous um, podcast, Shauna, who was asking, "How do I reach out to women? How do I, you know? How do I get numbers? And then how do I make that phone call? You know, I feel crazy when I'm when I'm calling a practical stranger and reaching out. And mm-hmm. then she did it, and she received warmth and love and kindness and great support. Good. And uh, and here's a person who is saying, "You are valued and you are loved as a friend as well." So it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Angelica also says she's on round two of her steps with a new sponsor, and she's in the middle of step four. Uh, She worked a lot from the AA material, but she also has an NA workbook, which is Narcotics Anonymous. And um, she's read it before, 10 years ago. And isn't it crazy how you get something different each time? Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, she has a topic, and I'd love to do this on another day, maybe when we have a guest, because... I have somebody, we were just talking about this the other day, about how our morals have changed. So that's that's a topic that we're going to save for another day, I think. Moral compass updating? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And how is, you know, how did recovery Moral change that for us? Moral <laughs> What does that update look like? For you. All right. And then we have another one from CJ. Um, she has a close friend who's going through uh, a nasty separation or divorce. Mm -hmm. And, uh, unfortunately after three years of sobriety, she ended up going back out. Mm -hmm. So she has one foot in and one foot out. They're still connected. Um, she says she hasn't gotten drunk yet. Um, but, um, CJ is saying it's also kind of weird when I ask her, how's your drinking going? (laughs) Which I feel kind of weird and I don't want to seem pushy. Um, she's honest with me about it, uh, how much she's drank. And, uh, she said, but I just worry because of my own experience going back out after three and a half years, that it's harder to get back in. So she hasn't gotten drunk, but she's drinking this friend. Right. Okay. And then she also talked about how Julie once said on a podcast and she nailed it, that the worst thing to happen to an alcoholic is to drink and nothing happens. Yeah. So anyhow, I'd like to hear, um, what you guys think on how to support your friends during a relapse, or if you have any personal experience with that. Do you believe that someone can be in and out, or one foot on either side? Me personally? Yeah. Take my glasses off? No. Okay. <laughs> I don't. Because um, for me, that's, um, that's step three. You know? Step one, identify the problem. Step two, identify the solution. Step three... Um, here's the solution. Now, what are you going to do about it? Okay. Are you in or are you out? So that's my take on that. 
Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about it. Because in the one sense, someone that's got one foot on each side of the fence isn't all in, but they're not all out either. True, and I'm, and I hope they still, you know, I'm not saying don't stick around. Um, oh, our, please. Our slogan is yeah. keep coming back. So even if you're out there drinking and you come to a meeting, like this guy Josh I know says, even drunk me knew that I needed a meeting because mm-hmm. he'd wake up mm-hmm. in blackouts <laughs> in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. So, you know, even if you're doing that, obviously you're in the right place. And there is a part of you, I think, that is saying, I need this. You're just not yeah. there yet. I really believe if we're not moving forwards, we're moving backwards, but I just don't know how I view one foot one in and one foot out. Is it like a purgatory? It must feel like a purgatory because you're not really in one side or the other. I remember when I, the first time I relapsed, um, I didn't answer any phone calls from many people in AA. And then I would see them in my neighborhood and I'd try to like duck my head and go in the other direction. And this one couple in particular, they were my sponsor team, Catherine and Andy. They would always fucking see me. (laughs) I'm like, how did they do that? They had their backs turned to me and they're like, Lisa, (laughs) so good to see you. Oh, I wish the feeling was mutual. It's not. Um, But they just, they just kept showing up. It was amazing. For me, those were my higher power moments where I did not want to see anybody from, and I didn't know that many people in Toronto. I was back relatively new to Toronto and they were some of the few people that I knew, but we would always run into each other. Um, I forget where I was going with that. I, uh, we were talking about being in purgatory. Oh, and not all in and not all out. And I think that's kind of what it was like for me. Being in purgatory is a good way of describing it because I was out there trying to prove to myself that I could control my drinking, but there was that other part of me that knew, no, you can't control your drinking. And can't you see this experiment is failing? And, you know, how come those people keep showing up in your life over Mm. and over again when you don't want anyone to be, you know, recognizing you? You don't want to be around anybody. And my drinking also escalated where I went from never drinking alone to drinking alone because it wasn't safe for me to go out and drink in public anymore. After a near-death experience, my solution was drink at home alone. (laughs) Yeah, I was always more comfortable drinking alone. I think the way to support a friend of yours that's going in and out, first of all, is to always be compassionate, but without being pulled in. Like, I'm really sorry. Mm -hmm. Do you want to go to a meeting tonight? But like literally stop it there. Don't offer advice. Don't 12-step them. But also don't take drunk calls or texts. Don't Mm. respond when they're in that headspace. Being a strong pillar of support while protecting your own sobriety because you're an example of a program to that person. Um, And I don't believe you ever want someone not to reach out to you because they fear judgment or um, self-righteousness or any of those things. So it's like a fine line Mm -hmm. to walk. It's hard. To be able to support someone that's not getting it without getting drawn into their stuff at the same time. Actually, now that you mentioned that, I remember that's kind of what those two people did for me. Um, They would ask me how things are, and I would start to tell them, and they never let me go on for very long. Mm, and then, smart. and then they would interrupt usually with, so how's that working for you? That's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> how's that working for you? <laughs> or tell me what that's like. Yeah. But without getting into like the whole, eh, yeah. Blah, blah. yeah. So, and then they would remind me, well, you know, we're still here and you're always welcome. That's nice. And, uh, that's boundary setting. Yeah. That's I'm here for you when you want this and we love you and we'll never turn you away, but we don't want to be manipulated and hear all your bullshit either. Exactly. 
Um, and another thing, I've had this happen with a couple of my sponsees who were trying to support other people who they knew in the program, but they're all little ducklings. They're all brand new and barely out of rehab. And some of them are dropping off like flies. And then you have that one person who's hanging onto their sobriety and they're trying to throw life preservers yeah. to their friends. And it's like, you don't have enough continuous sobriety, um, to be able to rescue everybody else. And guess what? Somebody with 20 years sobriety can't rescue anybody either. Yeah. They can, you know, show them how they did it, but it's up to that person to reach out and grab on to that life preserver. Um, and when you're new, you need to focus on your own sobriety Yeah. and take care of yourself. So one of the boundaries that I would suggest to a newcomer who had a friend that was struggling is, you know, yeah, take that phone call, say, I'd love to meet you. There's a, there's a cafe um, 10 minutes from our meeting. Do you want to meet there 30 minutes before the meeting? Yeah. We can have a cup of coffee together and then I'm going to go to the meeting. Yeah. You can come if you want. And if you don't, that's okay too. So that keeps it kind of short, but you're showing support. You're there yeah. for them. And then maybe they end up coming to the meeting with you. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, there's never a good enough reason for someone to throw their sobriety. You could like, we've all had deaths and divorce and breakups and financial problems and there's no good enough reason that you're going to throw away your life because our sobriety is our life. Mm-hmm. So no one can ever convince me that this was so bad that it was worth throwing away their sobriety. But for. we try. We try to convince ourselves me. and yep, and to convince other because people. Because if you're going to say this is the reason I drank, why wouldn't a thousand other things make you drink? Mm-hmm. But when I was first sober, I remember my sponsor asking me what would make you drink. And I remember saying if my brother died... I, I, it would be over for me. Mm-hmm. Now I know that not to be true. I hope that never has to be tested, but I was at a different stage in my sobriety where I thought it was that precarious. And when you're talking about people helping others, like if I'm in a canoe and I'm trying to rescue people in the water, I better make sure I have a life jacket on. Yeah. And I think people in new sobriety or even someone that doesn't really have recovery, if you don't have a life preserver on, do not try and get that person out of the water. Right. Then you're both going down. Then you're both going down. And I, I was one of those people who um, thought that something was bigger than my sobriety and that when this thing happened, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it sober. So let me just say from experience that I tried that way and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. It didn't put my relationship back together. It didn't um, build a better relationship with my uh, adopted kid. Um, because the, when the relationship ended, so did that relationship for a time. Mm-hmm. I can say that sobriety has mended those fences. Um, yeah, it didn't make it less painful. It just put the pain off for a little while until I got sober again. And then I had to learn how to deal with those feelings. Yeah. So we think that it's going to make it better and that it's going to help and that's going to take away the pain of whatever it is you're going through. A divorce, a separation, a breakup, the loss of a child, the loss of a parent. And it's not. Well, because it's the lie of the addiction saying this will make it better. And it doesn't. There's a, a woman that I know who suffers from chronic pain. She has fibromyalgia. And she told me in a meeting, I am going to use because I can't take this pain anymore. And I just want a break. And I mm-hmm. said, yeah, but it's not going to be a break. You'll get a break from that. And then you'll have a mountain of other things on top of the pain that now you have to sort through even to get to it. Mm-hmm. And she ended up doing it. And I saw her months later and I said, what happened? And she goes, I used and it was fucking awful. 
because yes, my physical pain went away for the however long she was using. Yeah. She said, but the second that pain come back, came back, not only did I have pain, but I had shame, regret, remorse, depression. I hated myself. Mm. And a, probably a whole other new pile of things that you had to start making amends for. Well, and now she had re-triggered the obsession. Mm, so yeah. she wanted to use to end the pain, but it wasn't an obsession at that point. And then she used and the obsession came back. And she's yeah. like, now I have to deal with all that shit on top of my pain. And this is what our, our friend has identified. You know, she knows too from personal experience that once you do go out, then it is harder to come back in. Totally Because is. of that, because the obsession has been re-triggered and because it usually is stronger. It gets stronger. Yep. Because it's a progressive disease. It gets worse. Well, think about like if a big scary monster breaks free of its chains, how much do you think that thing's going to fight to go back into the chains? It's going to be really fucking difficult. So if your addiction is chained up right now by the chains of recovery, do not set that beast loose. (laughs) Let it be over there. (laughs) Don't feed it. Don't feed the beast. (laughs) Don't feed the beast. So we hope that helped a little bit and keep those topics and suggestions coming. The number two, soberchicks at gmail.com. And you can also message us, leave us a comment on Facebook. And uh, please, if you like, give us a review on iTunes. We'd love to know what you think. Thanks very much for listening. I'm Lisa. I'm Julie. Have a great 24.